0: Hi, good morning. I'm Rebecca Weber, and I have the honor this morning of reading our scripture passage from Colossians. But uh, first, let's pray together. So bow your heads. Mm. Our Father, since we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth, make us hunger for this heavenly food. May it nourish us today in the way of eternal life through Jesus Christ, the bread of life. Amen. Okay, so listen to God's word, Colossians 4, 7 through 18. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Anismas, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God— For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea Laodicea, and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And this is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you. Yeah, you know... Reading all those names is hard work. Good job, Rebecca. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <clears throat> well, there were a lot of names in there. And as I read that passage, I thought, you know, there's, sometimes we read a list of names and they don't mean that much to us. And other times we see a connection between names. We're like, I know those people. So we're going to have a little quiz here to start today. Uh, if you see uh, this list of people, <laughs> Louisa... Liesl, Friedrich, Kurt, Brigitte, Marta, and Gretel. Who were those people? That's right, the Von Trapp family singers. You remember them. Yes. Um, okay, this is only for people who are under 30. You can only play this round, okay? When you see this list of people, Jackie, Tito, Jermaine, Marlon, and Michael. Any youngins out there know those, these people? Who is it? Yeah, baby. All right, Jackson Five. There we go. Okay, now this is only for people who are over fifty this time. Okay, who are these people? Mr. Beast, Kimberly Loiza, Zach Choi, Brent Rivera, and Markiplier. Am I saying that right? I don't know. Anybody know? Old people in the room. Millionaires. They are millionaires. Yes, these are YouTubers, social influencers. Um, Yeah, you know that Mr. Beast, he's 25 years old and is worth a half billion dollars from his little posts on YouTube. Amazing. Okay, last one. This is an all play again. Who are these people? Olivia, Emma, Amelia, Noah, Liam, and Oliver. You know these names? These are... The top baby names of 2023, okay, so just throwing that out to you there, but, uh, so, you know, sometimes if you're reading through a section of scripture like we just got, again, the names might mean as much to you as Mr. Beast and Louisa and Frieda and all these people, but, um, to others, they are not just names. They're real people with real stories. And so too today, as we reach the end of our uh, study of the letter to the Colossians, at first reading, these may have just seemed like a bunch of names to you. But my hope is that um, you know, in the next several minutes, we can get back into their story and see a little bit of how it impacts and informs our story. More than anything, I'm hoping that as we unpack this together, uh, that we'll come to appreciate some important truths about the Christian life and the nature of the church. So you ready to jump in? First thing that we see, I like that. Yes, we're ready. First thing I want us to see uh, that this scripture teaches us is that the Christian life is a team sport. That's why I've entitled this, What's Gonna Work? Teamwork. All right, there we go. So uh, you've heard this before, but it's really important to remember that the Christian life is not an individual sport like surfing or skiing or, you know, something that you can do by yourself, maybe golf. Um, No, the Christian life is more like a team sport, like basketball or soccer or football. And these sports, you can't play by yourself, right? You were never meant to. And the same is true for the Christian life. Uh, We got to witness Angelique's baptism today. And this is very personal, right, to her. It's very profound. And yet nobody gets baptized by themselves. We always do it in community because baptism is an entry into the Christian family or the team of of faith in Christ. Uh, Undoubtedly, Paul was a unique individual, was he not? I mean, he was a man of exceptional skills and intellect and abilities and drive. Uh, But we see here at the end of this remarkable letter that he did not operate alone. He didn't do it by himself. No, we see uh, 10 names of people who were on Paul's team in the gospel. So we're going to look at them very briefly together, these 10 names. Now, the first two are names of people who Paul sent with the letter to Colossae, and they showed up uh, and handed the letter to them. The first is Tychicus, or Tychicus, however you want to say it. Um, Tychicus is t- uh, called a beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant. We know from other passages of Scripture uh, about Tychicus. In Acts 20, he was one of those that traveled with Paul on his third uh, missionary journey, we learn in other letters that Tychicus was kind of a, for you baseball fans, he was kind of a utility infielder. Like he was, he would sub in to many different positions. So at one time, Titus and another time, Timothy wanted to go visit Paul. And so Paul sent Tychicus to go fill in and be a kind of an interim pastor for them in their places of ministry. Um, Paul, so Tychicus comes as Paul's right hand man, both to inform about what's going on with Paul. And to encourage them. And along with Tychicus is also comes Onesimus. Now on Onesimus we're going to hear more about next week. Because uh, the letter to uh, Philemon was kind of a companion letter to Colossae. Philemon and Onesimus are both hometown guys. Uh, they're from Colossae. And as we'll see next week. Um, Onesimus. Uh, had had run away as a slave from his sl- slave owner, Philemon. He had heard the gospel, received Christ, and Paul sent him back to his hometown to where Philemon was. Can you say awkward? <laughs> uh, can you imagine being in a church like this? And uh, But Paul sends him back not as a slave, but again, as he says here, as a beloved brother who is one of you. He's no longer just, you know, a social pariah. He is one of you and he's beloved. Now these two guys go with the letter, but the next five or six names are people who stay with Paul that Paul says, I want to send their greetings to you. In our home group this week, we wondered if this was like, have you ever, uh, had gotten a a birthday card or something, and it has, like, one person fills out everybody else's names. (laughs) And later on, you say, oh, thanks for the card. And you're like, oh, did I sign that card? (laughs) Hopefully, this is not greetings like that. These people actually knew they were sending their greetings uh, with Paul to the uh, Colossians. But the first one named here is Aristarchus. Aristarchus, uh, again, is one of these characters we know a lot about from other parts of the Scripture. He was with Paul in Ephesus when Paul's ministry was there. And after uh, Paul preached, a riot broke out. Do you remember that? And Aristarchus was one of those who braved the, the riot in Ephesus as a result of Paul's gospel ministry. We know that Aristarchus also traveled to Jerusalem with Paul when Paul had gone and collected uh, an offering for the poverty-stricken church in Jerusalem. Aristarchus was one who traveled with Paul to bring that gift to them. We also know from Acts 27 that he accompanied Paul when he was taken as a prisoner from the land of Israel to Rome when he was going to appeal his, his uh, sentence there. And Aristarchus went with him all there. So he must have been a very close friend of Paul's. So Paul says, Aristarchus sends his greetings, as does Mark. Who's Mark? Now, Mark is the gospel writer, uh, the gospel according to Mark. We also know that Mark comes from a family that was very well known in the early church. Right here in Colossians, Paul references his cousin, Barnabas. Do you Remember, Barnabas was one of the first two guys that the, the church in Antioch sent out on mission. And Paul and Barnabas went together uh, to start out this mission. And we'll... Re- remember a little bit further Mark's role in that. Um, But Paul says, if Mark comes, when he comes, if he comes, welcome him. What's that about? Again, we're going to come back to this a little bit later. Uh, The third person that Paul sends greetings along with the letter is Jesus, who is also called justice. Do we have any other justices in the room? Yes, we do. Radon. Hey, great biblical name right there. So it's unclear if Jesus, who's also called Justice, if this is like Saul and Paul, if these are two names that would have, one would have been used in Jewish circles and one in Gentile circles, or maybe if just, if your name was Jesus in the early church, you took another name to distinguish you from the master. In any case, uh, these three guys send their greetings as does Epaphras. This is another guy who we know much about. Uh, We do know a little bit more about. Do you remember in chapter one of Colossians, we came into contact with Epaphras there as well. Epaphras was somebody who met Christ through Paul's teaching and went as a missionary back to his hometown of Colossae and he planted the church. So these people that Paul is writing to, they came to faith through Epaphras' ministry He also probably founded the church in nearby Laodicea and Hierapolis. And Hierapolis and Laodicea and Colossae are kind of like Carpinteria and Santa Barbara and Galita. They're all pretty close to each other. And Epaphras has had this wonderful ministry. Paul calls him a servant or a slave of Christ who is always struggling in prayers. I love the Greek word for struggling or wrestling in prayer. It comes from the Greek verb agonizomai. So here we get this picture of, of Epaphras who's constantly agonizing in prayer for these people that he loved and he's led uh, to Christ. Two more names, briefly, that Paul sends greetings from. One is Dr. Luke, and we know Luke is also one of the gospel writers. So just think about this. Paul is is writing with Mark on one hand and Luke on the other. And they've collectively wrote 60% of the New Testament. That's pretty cool that they were all together when he wrote Colossians. And the last one is Demas. And he just gets no uh, appellations to his name. It's just Demas sends his greetings. We're going to talk a little bit more about him coming up too. And the last group that Paul writes about are those Paul is sending greetings to. And this includes the church in nearby Laodicea. And it also includes Nympha, and Nympha is a, a woman who ho- holds the uh, hosts the church in her home. Of course, there were no church buildings in that time; they met in people's houses. And Nympha, as the host, was probably held a leadership position in that early church. And the last name we find is Archippus, and we don't know much about Archippus from any other part of the New Testament. We only know that he has been. He's received some kind of ministry, some kind of service in the Lord. And Paul says, make sure it gets done. See that you fulfill it. So, again, what I want us to see here this morning is that the Christian life is a team sport. It is not an individual exercise. And so many in our culture today are saying, you know, I love Jesus. I just don't love the church. And Paul, in his way of thinking, that he wouldn't understand that. Uh, the people who are grafted into Christ are grafted into his body, have become part of his kingdom team. We need each other, people. We need each other. We need each other's encouragement. We need each other's prayers. We need each other's help. We need examples of what it looks like to be strong in the Christian faith. And Paul writes this because he knows that there's a danger for them and for us, that a kind of spectator mentality can creep in to the church if we're not careful. Bud Wilkinson was a, a former head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners football team years ago. And he was asked by a reporter, uh, what, uh, what was the question? What, uh, how the game of football contributed to the health and fitness of America. And to the reporter's surprise, the coach said, well, it really hasn't contributed at all. And the the reporter thought, wait, what are you talking about? And he said, well, this is how I think of uh, football. I define football as 22 men on the field desperately needing rest and 22,000 people in the stadium desperately needing exercise. (laughs) That's pretty good. Well friends, God did not design the Christian church to be like Wilkinson's description of football. A few people who put on a good show while the others watch. No, let it never be true. We are all to get in the game. We all get to play. Again, I've said this many times. This is good news. Ephesians four is a text that that our church comes back to regularly in which Paul makes clear that the, the people who serve as leaders in the church in whatever capacity, whether that's pastors or elders or home group leaders or Bible study leaders, Sunday school teachers, those leaders, their job is not to entertain, but is to equip the people of the church to do the work of the church, to do ministry, to do service. That is, we all get a part to play. So I want to ask you, are you watching or are you in the game? I'm so excited when I hear stuff about like Friendsgiving, this ministry that we had to foster youth that so many people in our congregation said, put me in, coach. I'll cook. I'll clean. I'll, I'll facilitate the fun, all that stuff. That is what church life is meant to be about. Let's keep that up, friends. So. The Christian church, Christian life rather, is a team sport. and We also see that it involves teammates who are both similar and different from you. Did you notice how the first three people that Paul sent greetings from, uh, Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice, he said were of the circumcision, or my Jewish brothers and sisters, or Jewish brothers, who were a great comfort to me. Did you see that in verse... 11, I think it was. Now, listen, I think this shows that there it's not wrong for you to want to find some people in the church with whom you share some natural connections, just like Paul did to these fellow Jewish men who are a deep comfort to him. So if, if you've come to the church and you are looking for some people who are your same age or your same place in life, uh, you know, same, navigating this, the same things together, whether it's trying to figure out life in those post-college years, or people who are starting. A, whoa! Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> this is kind of interesting. We can take care of this. We got it. we got guys on it. Um, you're going to want to go back and watch that on YouTube afterwards. I know this is going to go viral, people. I'm going to be a YouTube influencer. This is awesome. Oh um, yeah. man. <laughs> And anytime. That's all right. Let me just keep rolling along and pretend like this isn't strobing on me. Okay. As I was saying, there we go. <laughs> oh, we're so high class around here. High, pro, high tech, all that stuff. Again, it's not wrong. If uh, you get excited to find a friend in the church who enjoys the same kind of things you do. Um, but, Listen, the church is also about people who are different from you. And Paul writes, there's this guy who's a doctor and a guy who's been a slave. There's people who come from Jewish culture and people who come from non-Jewish cultures. There's men and women all collectively grafted into this thing, new people, new humanity called the church of Jesus Christ. And I want to say, I think this is a beautiful, I'm so glad this is in the scriptures We are a better church when we not only rub shoulders with, but when we get deep into life with people who are not like us, who are different ages, different places in life, have different political persuasions. Uh, Some people who may like country music and others like rap. Some people who love their cat and some people who have pets that love them back. You know, all these things. Uh, Sorry, I couldn't resist. <clears throat> in any case, I want to encourage us to intentionally try to set our, our attention and intention on getting to know people in our church family who are different than us, who we would not necessarily make friendships with in everyday life. Let's go out of our way. To gravitate towards people, again, who we would not normally gravitate to for the sake of finding our unity in Jesus. When we do this, when we do this, we glorify the one who is creating a new team in which, as Paul said in Colossians 3, there is no Jew or Greek, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but where Christ is all and in all. That ought to characterize what our church family is about. Okay, the Christian life is a team sport with teammates who are both similar and different from us. And we see also that these teammates are designed to help you become who you were meant to be. Where do I see this? Look at verse 12. Again, we see this little word about Epaphras here. I love this. Verse 12 says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. What's he praying for? That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So good. That word mature in Greek is teleos. It's a, you've heard of like teleological. It's something towards its end. It's something that's complete, finished, again, brought to its intended end or fully grown. Paul's praying for this. Now, have you, uh, do you recognize these kind of birds. Can you even see that? I don't know if you can or not. Yeah, these these birds cannot fly. They're just, they've got this little fluffy stuff all over them. What kind of birds are these? Yeah, those are baby bald eagles. And they can't do anything at that age but just sit like a bump on a log, right? And if they fall out of the nest, it's you know, too bad for them. Um, they were not meant to stay like that, were they? They were meant to soar. And so... In the same way, Paul is writing to these young Christians in Colossae, people he's probably never met, but he's heard about through Epaphras, and and he's heard he, he knows there's dangerous teaching out there, and Epaphras is praying, and Paul is praying with him that they would mature in the same way of those little baby eagles into things that can soar. He he's afraid that. If they stay like they are, they're going to be blown around by every wind of false teaching. But Paul says, no, we're praying that you may grow up into Christ, that you can soar on wings of faith. How do they do this? Well, the, 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 the next phrase is fully assured in all the will of God. Now, Paul and Epaphras here are not praying simply that when they come to a a difficult decision, like I'm going to graduate from college, what is God's will for me? Like, make that clear. That's not what he's talking about. He's praying that they would be fully assured in all the will of God. He's talking about that they would understand God's will for the world in Christ Jesus. He wants them to understand the gospel all that God has done for us in Christ so that they would not be blown around by false teaching, but that they could be assured of God's love and able to structure their lives accordingly. And I want to simply ask, do we pray like that for people that we know? I I can be pretty good at at praying for somebody who says, man, you know, my parents are going through a divorce. Can you pray for me? I lost my job. Can you pray for me? I, I was just diagnosed with... XYZ, can you pray for me? And those are good prayers to offer, to, prayers for healing and reconciliation and provision. But here's a gr- even greater, maybe, example of how we should be praying for each other, how we can be praying for each other regularly. That we would pray for our fellow Christians, people in our home groups, our, our friends in school and workplace. That they would grow up into Christ. To be all that God intends for them to be in Jesus. Paul says Epaphras is struggling and working hard for them in prayer. And I want to encourage us to pray like Epaphras for each other. So, one more part that we need to hit today. The Christian life is a team sport. With teammates who are both similar and different from you. Who will help you become who you were meant to be. And the last thing that we see is who will sometimes disappoint you. The first name that jumps out here to me is Mark. Why did Paul have to say, if he comes, make sure you welcome him? Surely they had heard the story. They had heard the story about how Mark had bailed on Paul and and Barnabas on that first missionary journey. And, and Paul has to say, hey, it's okay. Welcome him back in. Paul was disappointed, to say the least. He was ticked. It caused he and Barnabas to go in different directions on that first missionary journey. And yet, and yet, now Mark is back with Paul after who knows how long. And at some point later, Paul says uh, to Timothy in letter of 2 Timothy, he says, bring Mark to me, for he is very useful to me in ministry. It's so beautiful. Mark had been given grace and he had earned Paul's respect again. But there's one more name that I want to highlight, and that is the name Demas. You remember him? Just simply, Demas greets you. In the letter to Philemon that we're going to look at next week, Paul sends le- uh, greetings from Demas at that time as well, who he calls his fellow worker now he's just demas and in 2nd timothy paul says demas having loved this present world has deserted me what a sad trajectory right he went from being a fellow worker to somebody maybe he was having questions about so he's just demas to the person who deserted him deep disappointment Pastor Stephen Cole, who was very helpful in my study this week, he wrote, Demas warns us of the possibility of defection and disappointment, while Mark encourages us with the hope of restoration for those who have failed. Now, truth be told, we don't know how Demas' story ends. Perhaps he, like Mark, uh, redeemed himself in Paul's eyes. And perhaps not. We just don't know. But I do know this. Chances are, if you've been around a church very long, if you've been in this church very long, you've been disappointed by someone in your church family. You've been disappointed with somebody who is supposed to be on your team and they let you down. And I wanted to state the obvious. It stings, doesn't it? It hurts. So I wanted to say uh, to those of you who have been the disappointer, you know, you know, who you are. Uh, I've disappointed people and I am very cognizant that I've done that whether intentionally or unintentionally, what do we do in those kinds of situations? I want to encourage us. If, if that's who we are, we are quick to express remorse and say, I'm sorry. We are slow to offer excuses we are we are quick to try to understand where the other person's coming from and slow to want to be understood. That's my natural bent. I just want to be understood. This is what I was trying to do. But let us be a people who are quick to just simply say, I'm sorry and, and make amends. If you've been hurt, if you have one of the ones who have been disappointed. I want to encourage you to try to imagine the best, best case scenario for what could have been going on in the head and heart of the other person. And even when it is clear that the other's behavior is inexcusable, let's remember how much we've been forgiven by God. Our enemy would love to tear us apart, but we need to stick together and demonstrate that we are a people that knows what it is to both need and receive grace. Grace. Do you remember the, the parable that Jesus told about the person who owed a huge debt to the king? And the king said, don't worry about it. I forgive you. You're totally clear. And that person went out and found another friend who owed him a much less amount. And he had that person thrown in prison. And Jesus had some hard words to say. And he said, you know, you who have been forgiven much need to be quick to forgive as well. And I want to just encourage us people. This is not to make excuses for anybody's sin, anyone's sin. But let us be a community of grace who live and extend and receive grace from one another. Now, I'm about out of time, but I do want to leave a little bit of time to uh, not end on this kind of wah, wah message, (laughs) Uh, disappointment message. I want to have you finish my sermon today. And this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for several people who will stand and just give a, a brief sentence or two about somebody who's been a part of your spiritual team, who's had an impact on your spiritual life. Maybe it was the person who led you to faith. Maybe it's somebody who's been praying for you, working hard for you, uh, praying for your maturity in your faith. Maybe it's somebody who's been uh, setting an amazing example for you or just been a strong encouragement to you. If, if you would just, let's have, we, we don't have time to go on and on about these people, but would you just stand and give public thanks for someone in your life who God has uh, given you as a strong encouragement? Yes, thank you, Lisa. Amen. Good. Let's have a few more. Yes. I'll refer to somebody years and years ago. I'm an old guy. <laughs> and, uh, but you talked about football sports and the new Christian
0: guy by the name of Jack Seaman, hmm. basketball coach at Westmont College. Without that guy,
1: I don't know. Hmm. You know, it's just He's just one of those people that's very, very important. About. Yeah. Praise God for Jack Siemens. Yes. Somebody over here. Alan. I'd like to thank God for Don Collier, who speaks the word of God to the public via news NewsHawk. Yes. Yeah. All right. Dan. Steve Jolly. I was a 20-year-old punk. You love me. I was a punk. <laughs> Praise God. Mm. great model in the back. I want to she, um, me to be and Amen. Yeah, two more. Uh, my dad for me and then... Amen. Godly parents. Last one, who's up? Well, yeah, let's, uh, it's appropriate. We thank God for the gift of the team of Christ. Uh, I want us to come to the table now and this table reminds us that none of us were picked for God's team because of how amazing we are. We were picked when we were totally unqualified and it is only the body and blood of Christ that makes us competent to serve in Christ's name and to be part of his family. Every week we come and we take these ordinary elements, bread and wine and and we remember. We remember how we became part of the team. We remember that Christ's body and blood was was given for us, was shed for us, so we might be forgiven of our sins and reconciled not only to God but to one another. And so as we come to the table this week, let's let's do it with joy and thanksgiving. And uh, you might want to keep your eyes open as you worship and just watch your team members file up uh, to receive the Lord's Supper. And uh, this is a recognition, again, that, that we're nothing on our own, but we have all that we need through Christ. So let's worship him together. Amen.